The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. This is the show that brings you a psychological perspective on common and current life issues. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi, folks. Thanks for joining me again for this, the 285th show on Psych Up Live. You know, no matter what field we're in, business, education, sales, construction, most of us want feedback. The problem is that very few people have been really trained as to how to give feedback. It's significant that 80% of managers feel they're saying the right things, but less than 20% of employees really feel appreciated. It's problematic that many bosses believe that young employees just want to be told, great job, when what they really want is coaching for the next level. And when it comes to negative feedback, no one really wants to go there. There's a tendency to avoid it or to do a kind of hit and run with it. The goal of this show is to give you the tools, the principles, and the practices of effective feedback. We are so fortunate to have as our guest and guide, Dr. Therese Houston, author of the new book, Let's Talk, Make Effective Feedback Your Superpower. You will be intrigued, informed, and even amused at times because Dr. Houston is going to challenge our expectations of what people really want most in the feedback conversation. Dr. Houston is a cognitive scientist at Seattle University and the author of three books. Her new book, which we'll be discussing today, Let's Talk, Make Effective Feedback Your Superpower, was just published by Penguin Random House. Her former book, How Women Decide, was called by the New York Times Required Reading on Wall Street, and Therese did a wonderful show on Psych Up Live about that book. Therese received her PhD in cognitive psychology from Carnegie Mellon, and she's currently enrolled in a graduate program at Oxford University's Business School. In 2004, she founded the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning at Seattle University. She has written for the New York Times, Harvard Business Review, and she gives and leads workshops on the very important topic of soliciting more actionable unbiased feedback. Microsoft, Amazon, the the Cleveland Clinic, and TEDx have all asked her to give talks on improving life at work. Dr. Therese Houston, it is my pleasure to welcome you back to Psych Up Live. Thank you so much, Suzanne. That was just lovely, and I want you to introduce me everywhere I go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, It was just so lovely. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, you're welcome. So let's ask the question, what made you write this book on turning feedback into a superpower? Well, my motto is this. We all deserve great feedback, but through no fault of our own, we often don't receive great feedback, and I'm trying to change that. And I I have a professional reason and a personal reason for writing the book. So first, the professional inspiration. You know, this, this shocked me, but who actually learns to give good feedback? Really, like elementary school teachers learn how to give feedback to their kids, but most of us who work with adults don't 
learn how to give good feedback. And it's a huge oversight. And what we tend to think is that feedback is a one-way conversation where I'm telling you what needs to be changed. And yet what the data shows, the research shows again and again, is that effective feedback conversations are just that. They're conversations. It's, it's a two-way interaction. And most of us don't know how to do that, how to actually have. We, we mm-hmm. think we just need to tell. And we look it up on Google, and Google gives us all these great lines to tell. And, uh, you know, the research actually shows that we need to make it a two-way conversation. So I wanted to, to bring the research to people and, and equip them so they could have better feedback conversations. And then I have a personal inspiration. Do you mind if I tell a quick story? Oh, Sure. Go ahead. Sure. Okay, great. Okay, so um, I have had a number, my most memorable experiences at work have almost always been feedback conversations, either when I was giving feedback or receiving feedback. And there was one particularly memorable moment in my early 30s. I had just finished my first year on a new job, and it was a new, I'd made a career transition, so I was really uncertain about how I had done in my first year, and I, I asked my boss, could we do an annual performance review? Could we sit down and talk about my first year? And she said, of course, but she was really busy, so she said, Therese, let's go out to lunch. We'll talk about it over lunch, and I said, great. So we put a date on our calendars. A week goes by. We go out to lunch. And we had a lovely conversation, Suzanne. We, we were enjoying our conversation, but we're talking about her husband. We're talking about my fiance. We're talking about our pets. We, we never once touched on the issue of my first year mm-hmm. performing and on the job. And so we get to the end, and I'm thinking, oh, we're going to have to talk about this on the walk back to our offices. So I'm, I'm trying to think how to raise the topic. And she says, do you mind if we duck into the bathroom real quick before we walk <laughs> back? And I said, no, sure. And then... We get into our stalls, and she launches into it. She says, so, Therese, so about your first year. And I'm like, no, 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 we're not <laughs> Oh, my out. goodness. <laughs> we're, we're in a public restroom, right? Oh, you my know, gosh. Who knows who's going to walk in? Um, I can't write anything down. I mean, there's so many ways. But, you know, I was already anxious about this conversation, but now she really amped my anxiety up by the way she was giving me right. my, my annual feedback, right? And so, you know, it obviously most people would know not to give feedback in a restroom. Um, But I think I take away two real lessons there. The first lesson is that the feedback recipient is often so powerless in the situation and we often don't realize that. You know, I felt like I just had to take the feedback when she was giving it. Um, Powerless the other person is. And the second takeaway for me is that even when we have really good intentions, we can still flub our feedback. I, she was a great boss. She wasn't a bad boss. She was a great boss. I think she was just really busy and she forgot. And when she remembered why we had gone out to lunch, she just she wanted to make sure she squeezed in the comments. And um, I don't think that she meant to make me feel awkward or anxious. I think she meant well. But it just underlines for me, even when we have great intentions, we can still flub our feedback. So those mm. were, I want to I give people those tips so that they don't make, you know, like I said, you probably won't make the mistake of giving feedback to someone in a restroom. But you they never know. In my book, I, <laughs> you never yeah. know. That's right. Yeah. It's possible, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just a great story for all of us to carry. So based on that, I want our listeners to know that the book is is just loaded with things that you can take away, but you have it divided up in a very, very usable way. The first section are the fundamental principles, four principles, 
um, about feedback or to really enhance feedback or that are should be part of your conversation. And then the second section, it's just like a toolkit of wonderful practices. So let's start by laying out the four principles, the four fundamental principles that you set up as integral and important for feedback. So I do, I, I did organize it by four principles first, because I thought if you're a busy supervisor or manager or small business owner, you, you know, sometimes you just need like, what are the guidelines? And so I offer these four key principles as a way to help people get their head into the game and not be, you know, not having to memorize dozens of tips, right? And the second half of the book gets into the tips if you've got more time. But so the four key principles, um, the the first principle is that there are really three kinds of feedback, um, not two. Most of us think it's positive and negative, but there are really three kinds. Um, the second important principle is side with the person, not the problem. The third principle is say your good intentions out loud. And the fourth principle is listen like your job depends on it. And we can go into any of those or all of those if you'd like, but but the, if, you, if you can just keep in mind, you know, one or two of those principles, you'll be so much better at your feedback conversations. Now, I want our listeners to know um, that Therese is so keyed into the fact that managers um, often don't have time that somewhere in the very beginning of the book, she says something like, and if you happen to be doing a review tomorrow, just turn to page 200 and whatever. So she's really, whatever. she really knows what it's like to be pressured. But that being said, I think let's talk about the three possible kinds of communication um, in terms of feedback. Because I don't know that we would have, most people would break them down. I, I, I love this organization of three types of feedback. And I learned about it from Douglas Stone and Sheila Heen in their book, Thanks for the Feedback. And that book is really about how to be better at receiving feedback, whereas my book is more about how to give great feedback. Mm -hmm. But these three types these three types of feedback are really important. So instead of just positive and negative, and that's not very helpful because if you're receiving feedback, you know immediately if what you're hearing is positive or negative. It's much more helpful to think of three kinds, appreciation, coaching, and evaluation. So what do those mean? So appreciation is what most of us would call positive feedback. It's what I like about you, and it's what I like about your work. Um, so, you know, uh, that might be something like, uh, Elizabeth, the way that you framed your, the way that you frame your emails is so brilliant. You're really clear about what the takeaway should be and you put your, um, you put your questions in bold so that the other person can quickly skim the email, right? It's, it's appreciation when it's really good is detailed and it lets the person know, I want you to keep doing blank. Even if you don't say, I want you to keep doing blank, that's, that's the clear takeaway for the other person. Mm. And, so that's appreciation. And then the other two types are coaching and evaluation. So coaching is advice. Coaching would be what I want you to keep doing or what I want you to start doing or stop doing. Um, often in my book, I give, there's, there's three chapters on how to do good coaching. But the basic idea here is what could you try? Um, I often like to do coaching as, as a question. So I might ask someone, so what's your plan for your follow-up? Or what would you do differently next time? And I want to hear, what do you think? And if they don't identify one of the ideas that I had, then I'll offer mine. But I often want to start with a, a question, and that's 
as we already underlined, you want to make feedback a conversation. So coaching can even be a conversation, a back and forth. Mm. And then the third type, the third type of um, feedback is evaluation. And this is the kind most of us do the least often. Evaluation is letting someone know where they stand. Mm. You know, and that could be, are you getting a promotion anytime soon? Do I, do I see you getting more than a cost of living raise? Um, are you, you know, you're three months into the job. Are you performing at the level that I would expect for someone who's been here for three months? A lot of people wonder, you know, should I, is it okay that I'm still in learning mode? You know, they, they might not ask that, but they're wondering right. if it's okay. And all too often, we only give evaluation feedback at the one time a year when, when it's, when we have to give that feedback, if we even give it there at all. Some of us with small businesses may not do that once a year. But evaluation conversations, I, I can't tell you how many people that I've interviewed who are so grateful when their boss takes the time to uh, more than once a year, two or three times a year to sit down and say, hey, so here's, here's where you stand. Here's what I'm really, what I think is, is right on point, And here's what I'd like to see improve. And mm-hmm. so we've got appreciation, coaching, and evaluation. Yeah, and when you think about it, could you imagine taking piano lessons and the teacher is only going to tell you at the end of six months or a year how you're doing? You would not know what you were doing. (laughs) So the anxiety and the self-doubt that really gets generated when people don't get feedback, really, if the employer only realized it's to their advantage as well as the employees to keep this conversation an ongoing evaluation. And that's a perfect example of, uh, I love the example of piano, right? You would feel so judged if you're performing and you don't get any feedback and you keep performing and you're, you're at the keyboard and the teacher's sitting right there and you're like, how am I doing? <laughs> right? you would, you would, it would increase your anxiety. You would be wondering, what are you not telling me? Um, and, uh, and in the workplace, you don't have someone sitting right there perched on the bench next to you watching you perform, but you do know that your boss is paying attention to your work. And so people mm-hmm. are often wondering, we've kind of been trained not to get evaluative feedback, but we wish that we could. And I, I, I people are usually much more relieved than you expect to find out where they stand. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, our next one. And, or, yeah, or the other way to think about it, if it's helpful, if, you, um, if the piano analogy doesn't work for you, if you were um, an athlete, just like having a coach, you would, you would expect feedback all the time. And, and this is very similar as, a, as a, you're performing on the job and you want someone to be giving you feedback frequently. Mm-hmm. Okay, now what about the piece, which is so interesting, I had never seen it laid out this way, side with the person, not the problem, Therese. Yeah, this is really important because all too often, especially if we're a conflict avoidant kind of person, we will we will find ourselves siding with the problem, not the person. And that's a mistake. So what do I mean by siding with the, the, the problem? So siding with the problem would be you, you are thinking like, this is such a huge problem. You know, um, uh, Leon has got to stop doing that. You know, doesn't he realize what a big problem it is? And you spend hours thinking about how you're going to bring this up to Leon. You've really sided with the problem so that when you finally have the conversation, it's going to come across to Leon that you're siding with the problem, not with him. Mm -hmm. And you might underline, you'd say things like, you know, 
don't you understand how important this is? You know, we can't have that mistake again. You're clearly, you're so close to the problem, you're not thinking about it from Leon's perspective. So what does it mean to side with the person? To side with the person instead makes the other person, makes Leon feel like you're on his side, that you're looking at the problem from where he sits, not from someplace over where you normally sit. Instead, you're trying to see it from his perspective. Um, So that might be asking things like, okay, so Leon, so what happened? Or, you know, Leon, that's really not like you. I'm I'm puzzled and I wish you could help unpack this for me. So you're still letting him know there's a problem. It's not that you're saying, Leon, you can keep doing this. Don't worry about it. Um, But you're trying to see it from Leon's perspective. My boss, I I just want to give an example. My boss is really good at this. Um, When he sees me do something where he is concerned about it, he will um, raise it with me in a way to say, he said, he'll say something like, I wonder if you might try blank. And then he'll give me some example. I wonder if you might try starting our meetings like this way. And he'll give an example. And then he'll say, what do you think? Do you think that would work? Do you think there's a better way to do it? Do you do you think it's worth trying? So he's, he's, he's very much, he's got a piece of advice he wants to offer, but he immediately wants to hear what I think about it. And mm-hmm. so I always feel like he and, he and I are problem solving together. I don't feel that he's taking some superior position of, well, I know better than you, but instead he's like, what do you think? Cause here's what I'm thinking, but I don't know. You, you know better than me. And it, I feel so empowered when he does that. Um, mm-hmm. So that's side. So the takeaway is side with the person, not the problem. And it reminds me to just jump ahead to an example or a practice you talk about, which is if an employee has a problem, we have a tendency to fill in the blank of what, what what's going on, like our own theory or story of, oh, it's because of such and such, at which point we cancel out the option of curiosity and tell me what's going on, the way you keep encouraging the the reader and and our listeners here today, because very often, whether I'm supervising a student or a young psychologist, my presumption of why she or he continues to interrupt the patient may have nothing to do with the reason that she's interrupting the patient. So that I I love when you said, don't fill in with your story before you've had a, a chance for the back and forth about the problem that you're observing. It's I, and I love the example that you just gave. Um, if you're if you're training someone on how to work with patients, um, because we do often scribble in an explanation, and and that's perfectly human. Humans are storytellers, so you're not going to be able to squelch that impulse. But you do need you you do need to squelch saying it out loud. So let's say um, you're uh, you're you're working with um, an intern, and you've noticed that. They seem impatient. That's your interpretation. That's not the story. That's, that's, that's not, that's your story. That's not the real data. The data is that it's, they interrupt the client. Um, and so you want to stick with your observations and keep your story to yourself, at least at the beginning. So that might be saying something like, um, I, and, and it's always helpful to start with I noticed rather than saying you blank. So to say <laughs> it makes a big difference, those two words, yeah, I noticed. Right. So you, yeah. So to say um, I noticed when we were meeting with our client today that you interrupted um, at the very beginning of the meeting and then later in the meeting. And you, or you interrupted the client when they were talking. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about what, what you were hoping for. Right. And 
this gives the other person a chance to explain their side of it, right? They like, oh, I interrupt. I didn't even know I interrupted. Or, oh, I interrupted because they said this and I, I wanted to make sure we came back to it that, because I thought it was so important. But you get to find out their motivations as opposed to inserting, um, gosh, you seemed really impatient with that client today. Right. You might mm-hmm. think that, you know, you, you might think you're being really empathetic and observant, but instead you've inserted your story and now they're going to inter- now they're going to argue with your story because you've put a label on them. Whereas if you say, I noticed that you interrupted the patient today, now they're taking, now they're like, oh, did I? I didn't realize that because you've given the data, you've given it's your terrific. observation and they're, they're much more likely to be curious with you as opposed to defending against you. Absolutely. We're going to take a break at this point. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're so um, fortunate to have with us Therese Houston, cognitive scientist at Seattle University and the author of a new and really terrific book, Let's Talk, Make Effective Feedback Your Superpower. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in every week for Making Action Happen, hosted by Sarah Blackhurst. The program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Voice America Variety. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired. Create your own story to share and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input too. Listen for Brave Hearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Hi, folks. Welcome back. We're with Therese 
Houston. She's the cognitive scientist at Seattle University and the author of the new book, Let's Talk, Make Effective Feedback Your Superpower. And Therese and I were just talking about the next principle, which is why you should make your good intentions clear to your employee. Talk to us a little bit about that, Therese. Oh, sure. So it's one of the simplest steps to skip, and yet it's also one of the most powerful. And that step is to state your good intentions out loud. And the idea is that you are trying to frame your feedback as something positive you want for the other person. So um, there's great research by Leslie John at Harvard University and her colleagues. And what they've They've, they wondered about, does it, does it matter if you say something positive first or, I'm sorry, does it matter if you say your good intentions first or not? And what they found was that when, even when it was, even when you had really bad news to deliver, that if you framed the message you were about to deliver in a positive way, if you said, you know, I want, I want a good outcome for you, that the, that the person was less upset when they got the bad news and that they thought you were, they had more positive feelings about you, even though you gave them bad news, simply because you stated a good intention first. So um, what might that look like, right? So people might be wondering, like, you know, how would I, how would I say my good intentions for the other person? Let's, let's imagine that um, you want an employee, you've got an administrative assistant, and you want them to give you more frequent updates on budgets, and you know this is going to add some extra work for them, um, but you're worried about numbers, especially with COVID and, and you know your clients aren't what they used to be, the number of clients that you have, so you want more frequent budget updates, but you think that your administrative assistant is going to be really resistant. So the way that you might frame this, because this is obviously going to benefit you, but how could this benefit the other person? So what you might frame this with, let's say your um, administrative assistant's name is Alex. You might say to Alex, um, I, I, I see that you're so organized and I want to honor the organizational systems that you have and I don't want to be asking you for things at the very last minute. So I'm wondering if we could work out a system where you provide me with budget updates every two weeks because that would really help me in blank and blank way, right? But you've just framed it as mm. I see... I see what you, I see what you're good at and I want to support that. I don't want to mess up your system, right? Um, mm. and now, and now Alex is able to think like, oh, okay, yeah, that, okay, good. If that's what you need and, and you're right, that doesn't mess up my system. In fact, it, you know, I can work it into my system, but you've framed it in a way that it's going to be a good thing for them and that doesn't raise any alarm bells, right? <laughs> They're just like, oh, okay. Great, okay. great. Um, how, how could I work this into, you know, doing this for you every two weeks? And they're much more likely to be open to it than if you just launched into, so Alex, we really need budget updates every two weeks. Again, that's, you. first of all, you're siding with the problem, right? I need mm-hmm. this budget update. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second thing you're doing is now Alex is like, oh, you ask for so much from me, right? And, and Alex is just like, how am I going to add this to my work as opposed to framing it as, you know, I don't want to disrupt you. That's not respectful of you. Anyway, well, Therese, the other thing, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, yeah. Oh, the, the other thing that I think you did is you let Alex feel known. In other words, when you mentioned how he keeps his calendar or how organized he is already, if I'm Alex, I feel like she knows that about me. So already I feel 
relax with the fact that mm, I'm obviously notable. I'm obviously, my hard work is being noticed. So I'm, I'm going to feel very different about you making a request because you're not just throwing right. it at me. You're right. I snuck that in there. I also put a. I, I also snuck some appreciation in there by mm-hmm. by saying I see how organized you are. Mm-hmm. Right. Often mm-hmm. appreciation doesn't have to be, you know, Alex, you are good at blank. Right. right <laughs> Instead, it right. can be like, I, you know, I've I've noticed that you keep a really systematic calendar, and if that's important to Alex, that's going to feel like a compliment because um, that's something that he prioritizes, and you've noticed it, and people want to be noticed, especially during COVID. We we all feel like we're working invisibly, that no one sees our hard work because they we're not in the office mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, you're right. I did I did I started with like here's what I see that is important to you. I want to respect what's important to you. Can we do this? this way mm. and and that, that that gives Alex a chance to say well we can't do it that way but what if we did it this way and that the two of you were solving the problem together mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really valuable now your next principle and I love the way this sounds is listen like your job depends on it yeah that's one of my favorites um and I know it sounds a little a little extreme but on the other hand you're you you are going to reduce your workload by so much if you're a good listener. You know, be, become a first-class listener and your job will become easier. So one of the things that you talk a lot about in the book is that supervisors are busy, managers are busy, and so they tell themselves, I really don't have time to listen. But you, you give some good examples of the, the benefit to listening. I was once at an office... A holiday party and um, a new employee, a young man, he knew that um, it, my husband was the person who was giving the party for the office and he had a, ma- a manager. There were many divisions, so he had a manager and he said, um, you know, Mrs. Phillips, this is really a good party. I- I'm not going to stay with this firm. And I said, mm. you're not? And he said, nope. My manager never talks to me. He doesn't know who I am. I never get to say anything to him. I feel invisible. Um, and I thought, oh, my oh, God. So, <laughs> As a psychologist, so I thought, oh, my goodness. Now, I did know that the manager was an extremely um, uh, effective person in terms of work. But the people skills, I thought, he's going to lose this young employee because this, this young man feels invisible. And so it's yep. the listening. You you have some very interesting and important strategies because you talk about values. You, maybe you could explain this. Use valued listening and personal focused questions and paraphrasing. Maybe give us some examples of what that would be, Therese. Sure. Well, and it's interesting because I imagine so many of your listeners are like, I'm a professional listener. I, you know, this is what I do for a living. I, I listen right. to clients and patients all day, right? And yet, um, we all know this from our personal lives. You can be really good at listening to one person, and then you turn to someone else in your life, and you're not a good listener with them, right? You might find it really easy to listen to people at work, but you find it hard to listen to your spouse of 30 years or whatever right. it might be, right? right? You know, it's interesting. We, our listening does not, we, we, it takes energy, and we've got to apply that energy 
equally if we want to be as good a listener for everybody. And so um, in terms of listening strategies, when you're trying to improve your feedback, I do, I do list, um, you know, there's a whole chapter on this, so there's lots of good strategies in there, but I'll, I'll focus on three that I think are, that, you know, that touch on those that you've mentioned that I think are, are, are easy to digest and easy to implement. So the first is that when you go into a feedback conversation, you want to lead with listening, not with talking. With so, so many of us, we, you know, particularly if you've thought about the problem and had to work up the, the confidence or the energy to raise it with someone that it's bad enough of a problem to bring up, um, we, we lead with, okay, so here's what happened and here's why it's a problem. Um, you know, I noticed that you gave the wrong quote, quote to a client and here's why that's a problem. Um, that's, uh, that, you're leading with the problem as opposed to leading with listening. Um, I had this example, uh, I had, had this happen with someone really recently where um, she had given a wrong detail to a new client in an email and I immediately had to correct it. And a part of me wanted to, to follow up and say, hey, you know, that creates a bad impression with new clients. We've really got to keep an eye on those. And I, I'm so glad I didn't, Suzanne. I didn't do that. What I did instead mm-hmm. was I, I reached out to her and I said, hey, are you okay? Mm, and perfect. she wrote back, right? Yep. She wrote back. She's like, I'm fine. And I'm like, yeah. okay. So then I called her, right? And then I said, hey, are you, are you, I'm glad to hear you're fine, but you know, you gave that wrong detail to a new client and that's not like you. So I just wanted to check in and make sure you're okay. And she then explained her dad's really sick. He doesn't have COVID, mm. but he's really sick and, and wow. she's been overwhelmed, right? And and then and then she said, I'm so sorry about that mistake. It won't happen again. And I'm so glad because we connected in a way yes. that I could find out what was going on for her. I could have launched into the concerns that I had. Those were valid concerns, but it wouldn't have led to the doubling of commitment that she was making to me to like, I'll make sure I'm better about our emails. Um, and I wouldn't, I, I probably wouldn't have been as compassionate in the, in the week that, or two that followed because mm. I knew that she was overwhelmed. With her dad, right? That's so a great example. Yeah. 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 Lead with listening, not with talking. Um, and that might mean asking a question, but then you're sitting back and listening like I did with her to ask if she's okay. Um, so that's the first tip. Lead with listening, not with talking in a feedback conversation. Um, the second is to ask person-focused questions instead of task-focused questions. So most of us, when we're going into a feedback conversation, would be asking Task questions like, you know, um, what, what, with that example with the client, um, you know, I, uh, what, what, what happened with that client that you gave the wrong information, right? Did you not have the right information available? Um, are we sure that with other emails that are going out that we've got the right information, right? We'd be really focused on the task. Whereas what's more important is, at least initially, is to be person-focused. There's research showing that when managers are person-focused, um, they lead leads to much better learning, and that's what mm. you really want here, right? You want the other person to learn. You get more learning if the questions are person-focused. So what that would look like would be similar to what I did where I asked, you know, how are you doing? What's going on for you? Mm-hmm. Other things might be, okay, so how do you see this problem? How, how do you see what happened? Or let's say you're talking with a colleague and you're giving them feedback, you might say, I'm gathering several opinions on how we should handle this. What do you advise me to do, right? You're really Mm -hmm. focused on their perspective as opposed to just the task, right? Mm -hmm. And um, so person-focused, 
How do you see it? What do you advise? When do you think this problem is going to come up? It's really focused on, again, their perspective. So one one thing that you... Yeah. It just it just reminded me of something that you wrote in the book and I thought was so interesting and in that you give the example of someone who's behind on already on three months of reports. Most employers or managers would be out of their mind with this person. But you come at it with, okay, where do you want to go now? Or how do you see this moving forward? Which sounded so positive because there's nothing we could do about the three months that have passed. Um, so it, it was such a valuable way of approaching it. Thank you. Yeah, we want to be more future-focused in our feedback conversations. Often we're, we're rehashing what went wrong. And, of course, I'm not saying you don't need to mention that. Um, you need to say, okay, so I want to have this conversation because I'm concerned that this has been, you know, uh, I – I thought we would have this work done in November and now it's January and, and we're not there. So, okay, so where do we go from here, right? And you're, you're acknowledging that there's a problem, but you're now looking forward to how do we move forward from here? And that really empowers, because the other person wants to be future focused. Trust me, if, you're, mm. if you made a mistake, you want to be focused <laughs> right. on, on not making that mistake in the future. You don't want to be, you know, rehashing the embarrassment of what, what happened here in the past few months. Um, a way to talk about the past that can be very empowering to the other person is to say, okay, so this stuff was due in November or, or I was expecting this in November and, you know, now it's January and um, I'm wondering what would you want to do the same way and what would you want to do differently? Mm. Because that gives the other person a chance to say, okay, um, I think this and this and this went well. I think I would do the same thing, but gosh, oh my gosh, when I list all the things I would do differently, oh, that's an even longer list. And that, but it gives them a chance to own the situation, to to acknowledge that there were some good choices that they made, and then they get to own like, yeah, but I made some really bad choices, and <laughs> I'm I'm willing to say it's that great. out loud and own it going forward, right? right. Um, so that can be a really nice nice framing. What would you do the same way, and what would you do differently? Hmm. And then my okay. third my third. Oh, yeah. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead, Therese. Go ahead. My, oh, sure. Just the, the, third, the third way to listen more effectively for feedback would be to listen for the other person's goals. So mm. if you know that the other, the other person really wants to build their client base, to, to know that because you can then bring it up and say, you know, Elaine, I know you're trying to build your client, client base, and here's something that you might want to try. Elaine is going to be so much more open to this than if you just started with, Elaine, why don't you blank, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So starting with Elaine's goals will make her more open. Okay. Now, one of the things that I think people could ask you about is that you, you discuss in this book the power of appreciation, the power of praise. And there are some people who would say you praise people, they work less. Now, we're, I, I see I'm getting the cue that we're almost out of time. So let's do this. On the other side of this break, let's talk about why praise is so important and what exactly happens in terms of coaching when you lead with the negative. So let's come back and discuss that. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Therese Houston. She's a cognitive scientist and the author of a very important new book. Let's talk. Make effective feedback your superpower. We're going to come back and talk about more strategies for giving feedback in an effective way. Stay with us. We'll be right back. (music) 
Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. What are the labels that identify us? Who are we, and how do we figure out our place in the world? Do we own our narrative? If you were to create your biography today, what would it say about you? Listen for Dropping In with host Diane Dewey, the author of the award-winning memoir, Fixing the Fates. Diane and her guests will give their version of finding themselves. Find out about your authenticity by dropping in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now, back to Psych Up Live. Hi, folks. Welcome back. We're with Therese Houston. She's a professor and a cognitive scientist at Seattle University, and we are drawing upon her interesting new book, Let's Talk, Make Effective Feedback, Your Superpower. And I'm just about to ask her, why do you suggest double praise for employees? Praise is so important, and a surprising number of people think that it isn't. So there was a great study by Zenger and Folkman where they surveyed over 7,000 employees, um, managers and employees alike, to find out how often they give praise. And they found, and I found this just so shocking, Suzanne, they found that 37% of employees said, you know, I never, I never praise my colleagues or I never praise the people who work for me. 37%, mm. more than one in three, right? Mm. So if, if, you have, if you happen to be one of those people who, who shrugs off and thinks, well, you know, I don't need to praise people, um, you're, first of all, you're not alone. There are a lot of other people who, who think that as well. But it is... So important. What the research shows is that, um, you know, first of all, praise builds trust with people. Um, there's great research by, again, by Leslie John at Harvard University, and she finds that when you start with a, a genuine, specific compliment, that people listen much more carefully to the critical thing that you're about to say next. Mm-hmm. So, so, it, so it can't be generic, right? It can't be, um, you know, something generic like, Suzanne, you're just so 
so lovely to be around. And here's my concern, right? You know, um, it's, it feels, that feels super phony and you could have said right. that to anyone. Um, but it needs to be more specific. So it could be something like, so Suzanne, you ask such thoughtful questions. It really makes, it really puts people at ease because you ask questions that show you're listening and that you care about them. Um, but one of the concerns that I have, but you're now listening because you're like, oh, she, yes. she notices something important about me, right? Um, anyway, Leslie John and her research colleagues found that they played with the order. Sometimes they just started with critical feedback and then gave praise, or they just skipped praise altogether and went right to critical feedback and didn't offer any anything positive. And what they found is that 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 the recipient was much more trusting and paid more attention to the the critical feedback and thought it was more worthwhile, more useful when the other person started with praise. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it, you're, because you're, you know, you're showing me that you notice, right? If, if I can see that you notice something good about me, I'm more willing to trust that you'll also, your concerns will be legitimate and um, that you're uh, focused on me, not just on whatever the problem is. So it really so it opens up trust. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so let's add the rejoinder of this question that, and you discuss this a lot in the book, double the praise, and then you explain something I don't think many of us would know. Why is coaching under threat entirely unsuccessful? Yes. So doubling the praise, um, I, I offer that as a, because what a lot of managers will assume is that that the ratio of praise to criticism, if you are someone who does give praise, might assume that it needs to be two to one, you know, two pieces of praise for every piece of criticism. And yet researchers at the University of Michigan have found that the highest performing teams actually receive 5.6 pieces of praise for every criticism. So mm. way more than two to one, almost six to one. And so as a, as a starting point, just try doubling your praise. The, you know, trying to keep track of my giving six pieces of praise is, <laughs> is too much for any of, any of us. But just simply looking like, okay, um, wow, I'm, pay attention for a week. Like, oh, I only kind of praise Lucille once a week. How could I praise Lucy, Lucy more than once a week? Um, mm. All right, and, and then work on that. So that, that I find is a manageable, a more manageable way to approach things. And then in terms of, of feedback under threat, um, when you start with something critical, like you start with, I've got this concern, um, and there are some, there are some feedback models that say that you should, you know, just, you should start with, well, here's my concern. Um, the, the other person immediately feels that they are under attack. Defensiveness is really easy to provoke for the other person when they're getting something that they don't want to hear. And there's, there's lots of research, you know, basically what happens when you're giving um, critical feedback, one of the things that can happen is your cortisol levels increase for the other person. They're feeling stressed, their cortisol levels go up, and, and we know that cortisol impairs at least two crucial functions that you need you want the other person to have when they're, when they're receiving feedback. So one problem is that cortisol impairs memory. Um, and if you're asking someone, if you're, if you're giving them feedback on something that happened last week and they're, and they're having a rush of cortisol because they're stressed out by the, by the critical comment that you just made, they're going to have a hard time reconstructing. Well, what did happen last week? Right. You, you're saying like, I, I didn't like, 
you know, there was something that you said in our Zoom meeting that made me really concerned. And the other person is like, wait, what did I say? And they, under normal circumstances, when they're not stressed, it might be really easy for them to mm. remember. But because because they've had this surge of cortisol, they're now stressed and their their mind goes blank. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like taking a, cortisol is like this huge eraser. You know, yeah. and it just erases things. Um, and they might remember it later. It's not permanent memory loss, but they're short term in that moment. They're going to have a hard time reconstructing what happened. So they're going to be more likely to be defensive because they're going to say, I don't remember that happening. And you'll be like, no, I saw it happen, <laughs> right? And so now you're in an <laughs> right. argument and that's, right. that's not helpful. Right. Yeah, so that's one, sure. one of the problems. Yeah, exactly, sure. right? And that's not going to get you anywhere productive. Yeah. Um, so okay. one problem is, is memory falters when we're stressed and under cortisol. And the other one is you have reduced cognitive flexibility. So cognitive flexibility is the ability to brainstorm new solutions and cortisol impairs our ability to brainstorm new solutions. And again, if you're giving someone feedback, you want them to be really malleable and come up with new solutions for you. So it's another reason to start with praise because you're not going to trigger reduced cognitive flexibility. You're going to help, mm-hmm. help them stay as agile as possible. Good. Okay, so now in, in, a, in a speedy way, you, you talk about how does a manager really bring up a private or a touchy issue? And, and I gave Therese the example that as a college um, summer employee at a factory, um, the female manager said to me, uh, just, just ignore Mike in the afternoon. Well, Mike, the other manager, smelt of alcohol, would say very inappropriate things. And so if I were to say to you now, if fast forward, um, Therese, do you think that you can speak to Mike about what's going on after lunch with him and the young female employees? How, how would you stage that? You know, we don't have that much time, but give us a feel for how you would handle that, the steps for that. Sure. So I'm imagining, I'm not imagining you as the 21-year-old giving this feedback. I'm imagining his manager giving this feedback, right? right. Because right. that's going to be much more appropriate. Good. Right. And I take, I take steps from Sherry Harley, who um, uh, has great advice on, on how to approach these. So there really would need to be six, six steps here. Um, the first would be, it needs to be a private conversation. It shouldn't be an email. You shouldn't bring this up in a meeting. Maybe you know that, or a public or team meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, but make it a pri- private one-on-one. The second step is acknowledge the awkwardness. So that would be, you know, something like, this is a little awkward to mention, and that reduces some of the threat for the person, believe it or not. The third, state your good intentions. You know, I wanted you to hear this from me, not someone else. Um, uh, and that that's, increases their sense of we're, we're connected here. Uh, the fourth step would be state your observations. So, um, I notice that you often smell of alcohol in the afternoons. Don't make it other people have told me you smell of alcohol, right? But, you know, that, right, that's going right. to make him feel ganged up upon. You need, mm-hmm. you need to be able to own the, own the message. I've noticed that you often smell of alcohol in the afternoons. And then the fifth step, possible impact on their work, right? Um, you know, I don't want people to avoid working with you. Um, I don't want people to be upset by um, working next to you in in the office, whatever it might be, you want mm-hmm. you want to point out the impact that they're going to care about, and then the last one be the last step, the sixth step, ask the question, what are your thoughts, right? And now you've got to be silent. You don't want to backstep or or say, well, I know this is I, I know I know you don't want to hear this. Just say, 
What, what are your thoughts? And, and now let Mike begin to explain. Um, and it's, uh, it's, an, it's a simple formula, and it, gets, it, it acknowledges the problem, but it gets Mike talking sooner rather than later. Mm. And I know we don't have time to go into it, but I want our listeners to know in the book, um, Therese touches on bias, uh, gender issues, racial issues, so that, I mean, it may be another step that will happen or more with this person, Mike, um, but at least you got him focused and you've talked to him in a way that would enhance his listening and take a look at what was going on. Now, it, we're, we're just about out of time. So, Therese, I wonder, it, what, what take-home message um, would you like to give our listeners? Feedback at work is, is challenging. It's very challenging, but it's a skill that anyone can learn. You, chances are you already do the tough work of communicating clearly with your clients and your patients. So you are definitely up for the challenge of giving better feedback to the people that you work with. Okay. Now, how can people find this wonderful book and your other book, How Women Dis- um, Make Decisions? How will they find the books? You can find them uh, anywhere that you like to buy your books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your favorite indie bookseller. Um, and you can also look up on my website, TheresaHouston.com, and um, you can find links to buying the book there as well. One thing I loved about the end of your book where you give three questions to ask after giving feedback, maybe you can just mention those questions, Therese. Sure. So after you've given feedback, just a little of your own personal debrief, ask yourself these three questions. One, to what extent did I listen? Two, to what extent did I learn something I didn't already know? And three, to what extent did I communicate what I set out to say? And if you ask yourself those three questions each time, you'll, 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 each, you'll get better and better at feedback because those are three things that if you can check those off, you're, you're, you're doing a great job. Thank you so much. Therese, I really want to thank you for coming back on Psych Up Live and for really expanding and illuminating the meaning and technique of effective listening. I think we're of effective feedback and, and the listening involved. I think we're going to, uh, we're taking from your conversation feedback as a superpower. Thank you so much again for your work and for being our guest today. Thank you so much, oh. Suzanne. Okay, I want to thank my listeners. Remember, you can hear this and any <clears throat> prior show as a podcast on my host site, my website, but even more importantly, on every podcast app iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, on every platform. This show can be heard as a podcast by 6 p.m. Eastern tonight. Drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Until next week, please be safe, wear masks, maintain a social distance. Thanks and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, be well and be listening.